right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. And I'm Jack. And this week we are reviewing the film Operation Mincemeat, produced by Netflix. And we're uh, reviewing this film at the request of our guest this week, Sarah. Sarah, if you'd like to say hi and uh, tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Um, hi, my name is Sarah. Um, I'm also known as the History Chick 1941 on social media. I love to share history, so I created the History Chick. Um, my, I guess, specialty is World War II through uh, the Global War on Terror. Um, but I like to make history fun. I like to share history with everybody. I'm still learning to a lot of stuff um, as well. So it's a fun learning experience for not only me, but as uh, for people who do follow. Um, and I run a live series called History Behind the Page, where I interview other history nerds, content creators, authors, anything in between, just people who love history. So that's just a little bit about me. I don't know if I breathed in there or not. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded fine. So uh, when did you start getting into the kind of like uh, popular or like social media history thing? Well, I started my page actually two years ago on the 7th. Um, It was the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And I was actually sitting at my parents' house visiting. And I wanted to do an 80th anniversary post. But when I do it on my personal stuff or whatever, people just roll their eyes and, you know, they're not really interested. So I was like, well, do you know what? I'm getting back you know, my passion to history and stuff. So I'm going to create a history page. And so I did. And my first post was about Pearl Harbor. Um, And then, uh, yeah, now we're here. (laughs) And that's how the history trick was born. (laughs) That's great. Now, the real question is, is, uh, so we recently did a review of the movie Pearl Harbor. And what's your what's your take on that film before we get into this review? This is our litmus test. (laughs) (laughs) So Pearl Harbor, I mean, what, that came out in, what, 2002? 2001. It was a pre-9-11 film. Pre-9-11 film. For the time, especially, you know, I was, in 2001, I was, I was 13. So I wasn't, I was into history then, but not, I was, you know, more Hollywood, I guess. And I don't think it was an awful film back then. Where I am now and watching it again, it's, Eh, it is it's a romance film so it's a romance you know it's yeah <laughs> that's what it is i you know the older you get i feel like with history the more you want um the actual like what am i trying to say the actual historicalness of the film not subplots and different stories that have nothing to do with you know like the title of the movie pearl harbor we want to know all about pearl harbor but, you know, it was, uh, back then it wasn't good. I haven't watched it in probably like 15 years. I don't even know the last time I watched it, but it's a war man's well, movie. You, it's, you're you better, know, you're better off for it. So. It's, I, yeah, I honestly, it's not even on my playlist or watch list on any of my streaming services. So I think that says a lot. That's fair. Yeah. But back in so, the day, uh, it was a, it was a everybody loved it no it you know absolutely but i uh 
I admitted on our review of it that when I was a kid watching it, it was one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. But I also, I had the tendency just to skip from like one action scene to the next. So that kind of helped out. But But, uh, going into the the movie at hand, uh, Operation Mincemeat, uh, I know we had tossed around a couple of different ideas when we were chatting and uh, ultimately ended up on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you uh, go with this film for your choice? So over the past year, I got really into deception tactics. And that's when I first discovered um, the Ghost Army uh, in World War II, which did the deception tactics, the inflatable tanks uh, for uh, the invasion of Normandy. Sorry, I'm tripping over my words. And that led into a rabbit hole. And I discovered Operation Mincemeat. And which was a sub operation underneath different uh, Operation Barclay, uh, which was the British side of uh, the invasion of the invasion of Sicily is what it was. It was their deception tactics. But it, I discovered it, and I read Ben McIntyre's book Operation Mincemeat years ago, and then I got excited when they made a movie about it. I just went on a rabbit hole about it, and. Um, espionage and deception and spies are so intriguing to me so (laughs) that's fair and uh jack as we we usually like to start off what did you think of this film it was good you know a lot of planning went into this and i have heard of this operation before i just didn't know it was called operation mincemeat and Go what ahead. was the what was the original name of it that was like super obvious? I, f- I forgot. Um, it was Operation uh, Trick the Nazis into thinking we're invading Greece. It yeah, was a bit on uh, the yes. nose. It was called something else though, and then they changed it to mincemeat because of the the bot the body, the, the dead body. Right. <laughs> so it was um I have little notes right here, but I don't think I wrote it down. I can't remember it, but when they kept saying it in the movie last night, I was like, I didn't know that, and that's actually kind of funny. Operation Decepticon or something. <laughs> I'm really curious. When was when was the first time you uh, had heard of this story, Jack? Years ago, and like I think it was a today. I learned on a Reddit post or something where they dressed a dead dude up as an agent, and that's the reason why the defenses were lower at a uh, what the hell is it called Sicily. Normandy. Or was that a different dead body? I don't think that. They, I don't know. I don't think they did a, a dead body tactic like mincemeat for uh, Operation Fortitude for the invasion of Normandy. Ah, no, 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 Normandy. They did all the uh, the inflatable tanks, mm-hmm. which I I really wish they had kept those. Those would have made for some like great Halloween decorations. Just imagine like throwing an inflatable Sherman in your front yard. (laughs) That would be up all year round. (laughs) But, um, kind of going into this, uh, Sarah, what was your, your favorite part of this film? My favorite part, it was interesting leading up 
it, it was kind of slow moving throughout the whole film, but it got really interesting once they started to uh, transport the body and take it to the sub and start the actual events of dropping William into the sea for, you know, for everybody to find and for that whole thing to get on. Um, so I think probably starting at the submarine scene, which is probably about three fourths of the way through the movie. We do, we do appreciate good submarine scenes around. Yeah. Here. I mean, it was a small, it was a small, but that's, that's where I feel like it, it kicked off. Like it really kicked off the action part of it. You know, you mentioned the whole transporting the, the body thing, and that kind of takes a, like, an almost smaller role in the grand picture of this entire film. Um, but for me, I was, the thing that kept kind of hitting me or was in the back of my head this entire film is like, you have this entire film based upon, you know, creating a new identity for this individual, getting them dressed up, stuffing the pockets full of different things, moving the body and then eventually, you know, actually placing them. But if I'm not mistaken, this, this took course over like two months. And the thing that kept nagging me in the back of my head is like, could you imagine just like the, the obvious like decomposition and decay thing? Like I know they explained it in the whole, like, Oh, we're going to throw them in the freezer basically. But I just, I couldn't imagine just having like a body on standby for months on end while you're planning this entire thing. Yeah. Well, the, the dead body's got all the time in the world. That's not going anywhere. <laughs> <coughs> His schedule's cleared. <laughs> That's very true. Man, what are the odds that God, what, what was her rank? Well, anyway, one of your coworkers, kind of, but not real, really boyfriends, looks exactly like the dead corpse we're going to bamboozle the Nazis with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The... <laughs> Jean. Yeah. So, Jean. Yeah, so actually, so that actually did happen um, in real mincemeat, but it wasn't one of Jean's. It wasn't an American soldier. It was actually another. Um, I actually have his name right here. Um, he it was actually Captain Ronnie Reed of M15. That's whose photo they used. But in the movie, they used Jean's boyfriend. It, it makes for an interest. More yeah, it makes for an interest. Yeah. Again, we have to remember that when we watch these movies, that they're movies. <laughs> like that's a suspension big thing. of disbelief is our word for the day. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, yeah, but I'm. Even when it comes to movies like this, if they kind of change a little bit, like instead of doing, you know, saying it was an M15 uh, Ronnie Reed versus, um, I keep saying M15, um, or M MI6? M MI6? No, it's MI5, sorry. I Damn. had MI6 in my head. It's an MI5 agent, but at least they got the part where they did actually use somebody who was of service back then. Sorry, I'm stumbling over my words. I think I've had way too much coffee today. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> See, I'm I'm currently double fisting. I, I have a breakfast tea as well as some iced mm -hmm. coffee. So I, <laughs> I it's an in, it's an interesting flavor combination. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a nice cold fresca. I love fresca. What 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 are you what one are you drinking? 
grapefruit citrus. That's my favorite. That's the, the only kind I drink. I literally drink it every day. <laughs> Yay, Fresca! Hell yeah. Wasn't there a black cherry one? I like the black cherry the one. The black cherry is good. The grapefruit's really bad. Sorry, this has nothing to do with Operation Mincemeat, but I'm so happy. Oh no, we usually talk Fresca. about what we <laughs> we usually talk about what we drink around this time yeah. for the discussion. Yeah. I remember yeah, I like, what what was the Walmart brand of Fresca? It was like clear. It was just called clear or something. Yeah. I just I remember being <laughs> thoroughly unimpressed by the walmart brand of fresca like i i enjoy fresca that myself tries. but there but i remember the the walmart being eh. there i think it's called like it's clear or clear choice or something or whatever but their black cherry lime, oh clear choice is a pretty never mind i clear something um their black cherry limeade is actually really really good but it only comes out in the summer huh there is um some gas stations around my town still have it. But there was this sugar-free, caffeine-free soda that Fanta rolled out for Halloween this year. And it was mystery-flavored, but the common consensus online was that it was blood orange. That oh. shit was my jam. <laughs> Especially like the no sugar, no caffeine part of it. Mm -hmm. but, but as cruel as God is, nothing can last under his gaze. You just have to wait till next Halloween. If they roll it out for next yeah, Halloween, then, then you know you got to you got to do what I do. You buy in bulk when you know it's gonna go out. Of <laughs> yeah, like like Baja Blast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're like buying all of it. I just did. That's that honestly what Reese's peanut butter cups. It's honestly what I do every summer is because uh, that's when Mountain Dew will release Baja Blast, like actually in cans, so you can actually you know you can have it at home and don't have to go to Taco Bell every other day. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the summer, I always buy like several cases of it so I can hopefully mitigate the cost of fast food. But, but I think that kind of speaking of fast food, I think that kind of uh, rolls into the next point that I wanted to hit on, which was a rather a small moment in this film, but one that, I greatly enjoyed it. And I think it's something that we don't really see a lot in war films, which is um, rationing. Mm -hmm. I I don't know about you guys, but I love seeing the scene where you have, you know, kind of more upper crust, you know, British society people gathering around the dinner table, having their, their like after dinner speeches in yeah. fine china with just cans of spam plopped onto their china <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah up until that you wouldn't have even guessed a war was going on with how jovial they were just how they're partying yeah i think the spam when i saw that on the very fancy dinner part i thought that was pretty funny and you gotta you gotta think about it people did still go out back then and celebrate and have dinner parties they were at war they were pretty much thinking that they're like, well, we're just going to live life because they thought they all were going to die. I mean, in all reality, if that was if that was me back then, I'd be like, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to go out and enjoy myself because I don't know when a bomb is going to pop on this city and I'm no longer going to be here or, you know, <laughs> whatever. But that was interesting. Yeah, the, the spam on the fancy China <laughs> was definitely classic it was classic but it was real i probably it most likely did happen back then i mean because you know they all were on rations you know absolutely and i think it's you know like i said 
usually, you know, it's a little off topic, but take another kind of like home front movie, which we've previously had a debate whether or not it's a war movie, but a, a league of their own, which follows uh, women's baseball leagues during World War Two. You know, that's that's an entirely home front kind of film. Uh, and in that film, we really don't see any kind of rationing at all. So like having this brief moment of that in this, you know, spy slash war film, it I think it definitely adds character to the film. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and also, you know, this, this war didn't come to American shores. So we didn't have the trials and tribulations that the British or anybody else had. So seeing them still enjoying life with the rationing and making the best of what they were put in um, was definitely kind of, I don't know, a little humbling and nice, I guess, in a way to see. (laughs) I know that may sound weird, but. (laughs) Right. But uh, I think in that scene, it also adds kind of a nice, like, nod or it also has a nod to uh, some to a funny kind of joke that I enjoyed in this film, which was, uh, you know, before the dinner scene, our main character, uh, Ewan, I can never, I feel like I can never say that name correctly, even yeah. though it's kind of a common British name, but. Ewan Montague. So he's he's reading a a spy thriller to his son before the dinner party, and then later on we get the uh, you know we make fun of the like gasp Marvel moments type deal, where you know they're like, Agent Fleming, what are you doing? It's like, oh, it's the guy. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I thought it was I was I thought it was fun seeing you know the author of you know James Bond just kind of as a cameo. Ancillary background character. Can't wait to see him in uh, Operation Mincemeat 2. Yeah. Mince harder. (laughs) Well, actually, he was. um, Because when they said Ian Fleming, I was like, wait, what? I don't know this. So, of course, I had to do what every history nerd does. And uh, we go on Google rabbit holes. And he actually was (laughs) part of Mincemeat. He was the assistant to uh, one of the naval commanders um, who wrote the Trout Memo, which is what Mincemeat is based on. But he was like the assistant doing all the typing and stuff. And um, so I think in a way, Mincemeat kind of inspired his, you know, James Bond books in a way. But I didn't get that far into a rabbit hole. It was like 1130 at night last night. And I right. wanted to go to sleep. <laughs> but it's true. Did- Ian Fleming was semi part of Mincemeat, which is super insane. <laughs> didn't, uh, wasn't there a scene towards the end too, where they're like, what are you doing? Writing a spy story. Yeah. Oh. While they're waiting for the results. I love that because it's like, who isn't writing a book right now? I was like, just gonna say that the long joke is like, gosh, is everybody? Uh, what's his name? Uh, I never, I can never say his name right, but Charles Clomondely, Ewan's other counterpart in Mincemeat, but he he was like saying throughout the film, every everybody's writing a book. Gosh, are you an author? Are you an author too? Everyone's writing a book, so. It's kind of it's kind of like the modern day equivalent to that is like what Navy SEAL isn't currently writing a book. <laughs> uh, 
I should I should probably keep my mouth shut before like my windows blow out and they take no. me out or something. But... No, you're fine. <laughs> I think you can take them. Mm. Yes, definitely. Nah. But uh, speaking of the the trap memo, what did we think about? Uh, obviously, they presented the trout memo to uh, Winston Churchill, and he famously says, I hate fish. What do we think of uh, the portrayal of Churchill in this film? No, I didn't like it. I'm sorry. I you weren't a fan? I wasn't a fan. The, uh, I, I just watched, um, oh gosh, what is the, the Darkest Hour? I just watched that, and then I watched another... Um, Churchill movie that had um I am completely spacing names right now but I watched two of them they were just absolutely brilliant and then I don't know he was just like sloppy and not like I don't know I didn't like I didn't like the I didn't like the portrayal of Churchill he definitely wasn't a Gary Oldman he wasn't a Gary Oldman and he wasn't a Brian Cox which Brian Cox is the other um Churchill movie I I watched just not even that long ago and they were so amazing but I don't know, this guy just, I don't know. We got spoiled with Brian Cox and, and Gary Oldman. <laughs> so I don't feel like anybody else can, like, compete. <laughs> I definitely, like, when he first showed up on screen, I remember my first thought, I was like, is this supposed to be Churchill? And then they confirmed <laughs> it. I was like... <laughs> Me too. I was like... <laughs> this toad. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I was like... like a weird cat. I feel like they could have done better, like... I don't know, but that's just me. Yeah, they they could have they could have chose maybe a better acting choice for it. I I just I think regardless of actor, like when you take the person out, like when you try to portray the personality of Churchill, it always gives me a kick. Though, like I can't, I always find myself laughing, like anytime Churchill says something, especially like in the movie Darkest Hour, like. Darkest, like, this is going to sound terrible, but Darkest Hour was almost like a comedy to me, uh, mm -hmm. just because of how much I, I love Churchill's personality. Mm -hmm. We watched that Would together, you... didn't we? Dark, when it originally came out? Yeah, we went to the theater together. I I think so, because we were still in college when that came out. Yeah, Vermilion. We should, we should get around to to watching that sometime yeah i thought you were about again. to say we need to get around to going to the theater again and i was about to agree <laughs> go to the theater in vermilion south dakota yes yeah, specifically that okay. one okay. or or yankton i'm flexible <laughs> or sioux falls you're you're really grasping for straws here aren't you just making sure we have options <laughs> okay um so speak like going into the the other like British wartime films, I feel like that's something that's kind of slowly gained in popularity because obviously we had Darkest Hour uh, come out as well as Dunkirk and uh, the Imitation Game. Do we think that this kind of falls well within that like recent pantheon that Hollywood's kind of been trying to build? What do you, what do you mean? 
I feel like for the longest time, the British have kind of been ignored in uh, Hollywood films when it comes to World War II. And it seems like in a, like the last decade, Hollywood's really kind of turned the corner and oh, okay. oh, I reversed that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I feel like back in the day, you know, when we had the Battle of Britain, A Bridge Too Far, it was, we had amazing films about the British um, <laughs> back in the day. Um, in Hollywood, and then I feel like they did get lost along the way um, differently, and now that they're coming back out again, you know, like you said, with The Darkest Hour and Dunkirk and The Imitation Game, great movie and great story. Uh, I feel like they are, we're hearing, and, and, and Netflix is coming out with a lot more British and other country stories about World War II versus just the United States. I feel like sometimes people think like the u.s was like the only people who were in world war ii sometimes <laughs> when it comes to movies uh but i feel like it, it's getting better and they're coming out with great movies you know too so we call that the uh we have a recurring joke here which is uh i don't know if you're familiar with uh team america world police but <laughs> that is we call that the uh, America fuck yeah phenomenon. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I was obsessed with that movie when it came out. Such <laughs> a great movie. All the time. I feel like uh, this film, it's, it's a great standalone film, like in and of its own right. But I feel like if you watch the imitation game first and then you watch this, I feel like there's a lot of little parts of this film that make way more sense or like just like one-off lines that they say that click for you a lot easier if you were to watch that other film. Yeah, I I can see totally see what you're saying. Um, because a lot of, well, no, not a lot of people. I don't want to speak for a lot of people. I don't know. But I know people don't really know the stories of like the deception tactics on the British side and everything that happened and the Enigma machine and um everything that happened like within the imitation game and also operation mincemeat but if you're not familiar that in world war ii there were deception tactics like operation husky and barclay and and you know all that stuff i think operation mincemeat might be a little bit confusing or far-fetched for people to believe but if you're somebody who knows a little bit about you know, Operation Mince Meat and these tactics, I feel like it is a really good movie. It's not some big blockbuster, action-packed, whatever. It's a logical thinking, storytelling movie. Um, but it does go a lot within the imitation game, because I was around the same period, and the people at, uh, was it Bart? Uh, Bletchley Park? Bletchley or... Park, Bletchley Park. They helped during Operation Mincemeat with getting coded messages from deciphered from the Germans that, you know, that's one reason that they knew that the body, you know, was found. <laughs> so it's right. uh, they, definitely the movies do coincide for sure. And if you watch both of them together, you're like, wow, this is pretty crazy. I did appreciate, and you kind of alluded to this, that, you know, they, they didn't over, like, they didn't over convolute this movie mm -hmm. i mean there there's there's some parts where you you could kind of get a little lost but i felt in the grand scheme of especially like 
this is definitely more of a spy film than it is a war film. It, you know, it's, it's a spy film set in a war setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought they did a great job of keeping the facts and the story kind of in a straight and narrow path and in a concise manner. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that can tend to be a downfall of espionage films is they get over convoluted with their twists and turns and, you know, M night Shyamalan, like, what a twist type deal, but. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you know, that's with a lot of espionage, you know, movies that are uh, fiction, you know, they want to keep you on the edge of your seats, you know. Uh, but uh, what I liked about Operation Convince Me in regards to that is how they they did do so much great information and very and a lot of great details. And they did it obviously chronologically and they didn't really blow things out of proportion or Hollywood Hollywood fight it or whatever and in some parts you know making these plans and leading up to this operation it's kind it's going to be a little bit boring and a little bit slow because there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff and approval from uppers you know the upper people um to approve this stuff but I think they were really detailed with everything and how it played out I think they did really well on I you know, you know, like you said, there there are moments that had the, or there are parts of the story that had the opportunity to be kind of boring. And obviously one of the ways that like Hollywood combats that is either they blow it out of proportion or they add in a part of the story that doesn't really exist for the sake of keeping you interested. I know what you're so saying. that kind of leads <laughs> So that leads me into our, our, our love story of this film, which is, it it seems like a very, as far as love stories go, it's a very muted one. Mm -hmm. Um, like you can, I think I personally, I, I didn't mind it that much because it kind of added a tension to the film, but it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like the Pearl Harbor example of like, I can only think of you like it's, you know. It's mm. something to divert your attention in the slower parts of the film. What do you think of that part of the story? So I, it didn't bother me. Sometimes love stories in movie, in war movies bother me um, because that's not why I'm, I'm watching the movie. I want to know about like the operation or the battle or whatever that's going on. Um, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal. It added a dynamic to it that wasn't over the top but it created more depth for the character and it was funny i i went on imdb because i love imdb because i love movies and everything and i was reading the the reviews and people were like they could have done without the love story this love story and was before i even watched mince me i was like oh man they put a love story in it this is like this is i hope this doesn't suck and then i watched it and i was like this wasn't really even a love story. It was just about how these people got along, how Leslie and, and Ewan and everybody got along. And yes, there was a little bit of chemistry and one fancied, you know, they fancied each other or whatever, but it didn't take away from the movie. It just added a little bit of, I don't know. It's kind of like sub- sub- the f- substance or something. I don't know. Character yeah. development. Right. 
I I find that funny. Obviously, the internet complains about everything, but yeah, I find it funny that they're like that. You mentioned that there are people who are like, we didn't need a love story in this, and it's like the love story in this amounts to kind of just like overt flirtation, and that's about yeah. it. Yeah, it's it, it it literally is. It's like I think you're cute. Um, I respect you and trust you, and all that stuff. Like, it, there was no love story. There was no kissing there was no like let me take you on a date there wasn't anything like you're the love of my life there was nothing like that it was just showed a chemistry between people like that so i don't know what love love story then again i never take reviews on imdb super seriously because some people just have no idea what they're talking about um because half the time when there's like a really low star rated movie i'm like well i gotta watch this i'm like were they watching the same movie this was fantastic (laughs) I I also go to IMDb because I mm-hmm. I love checking out the uh, the like the goofs section uh-huh. to to just see like if I caught anything or if I missed anything and uh, I I check the goofs section on IMDb for this film and there is some pedant on there that's like when you see the scene of Madrid Spain there are more palm trees there than there than there usually are and i'm like what what kind of fact is that like like yeah it's... of all the things of all the things you can complain about in a film the fact that there are more palm trees in a city than you would expect is your your complaints <laughs> like i know the, the trivia and the goofs are actually are pretty funny i actually have some of them pulled up uh, right now on imdb but it just it's it's funny what people complain about. And I know as a history nerd, sometimes when I watch war films, I'll look at, you know, continuity and, you know, stuff if, you know, uniforms and placement and certain things and, you know, things to complain about. But I'm sorry, complaining about palm trees in Spain is stupid. <laughs> like, that's like really far-fetched. <laughs> I will say something that I... I don't, I don't know if I would necessarily classify it as, as learning, but something that kind of brought to the forefront of my attention I never thought about was like, obviously, I think in the normal telling of World War II, we hear about like the Spanish Civil War prior to World War II and how like Germany tested out a bunch of their technology there before they started their stuff. But because of their quote unquote, neutrality or uninvolvement Mm -hmm. you know they're usually left out of the story of world war ii so it's very interesting to see that even though they were air quotes not involved see what wartime spain was like in Mm -hmm. this story Mm -hmm. so what did you think of the addition of spain in this story well the addition of spain is is very important but and then again you don't hear about it in world war ii because they were neutral they were a you know nationalist you know they were a, a country of that the nazis had a nice little you know vacation homes in um it definitely added to it but it also showed the because i know that at first they wanted to completely return documents back to england they didn't want to hand over everything uh to the Nazis yet. And so it was this interesting dynamic of seeing what happens in a quote unquote neutral zone, a neutral territory, 
even when it's overtaken by uh the enemy but i thought it was it was it was a good necessity addition but you don't see stuff like that in movies so or read about it i also think it was great because this is where we actually see our like spy on spy kind of stuff actually happening Mm -hmm. as opposed to the like back in england where it's all hypothetical kind of thinking type stuff Mm -hmm. versus actually seeing it in play yeah see yeah once once the william was discovered like then you see the the different tiers of of the spies and the espionage and everything going on um the only i mean pretty much only in the beginning really that's only talked about spies was them really making it a, a fact that they thought Ewan's brother was a communist sympathizer and he was a spy for Russia um, and all that stuff. Um, but actually, sorry, just thinking about that. There was a scene with Churchill that actually I really, really liked when he explained this. And it was when Jason Isaac's character was talking to him about Operation Mincemeat and about how he doesn't think, um, he thinks it should be put, it should be shelved because they're close, they're getting close to Ewan's brother who they think is a communist spy, a communist sympathizer. And he thinks that's more important than Operation Mincemeat. And Winston Churchill says, uh, Russia's for a war for tomorrow or something. Like we can't focus on a war with Russia right, he, right now. We'll eventually be in a war with Russia but just not today because there are allies for the moment. But I thought that scene, as much as I didn't like the guy who played Churchill, that was a really great scene. Um, I don't know why I enjoyed that scene and why it popped in my head so much, but. <laughs> I think, I think it, it is a, a great uh, scene in and of itself. I think also like it kind of points to one aspect of this film I didn't really enjoy, which is the, like the additional subterfuge, if I'm saying that right of them, like, Hey, we need you to look after this dude's brother. Like, I want you to look after this dude's brother Um, because of my own like weird little vendettas, but like, it's like watch after him, but then nothing ever comes of it. We don't actually see him like actually spying or anything like that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Usually, like, in those types of movies and when that plot gets added in, like, you see the, you know, them them snooping or spying or reporting back. But literally, it was a story plot that literally nothing played out in it. Like, I didn't even like, Gene did, yeah. like, Gene did more snooping of Ewan's letters to his wife than uh, the... I can't remember his name, but his of Ewan's counterpart Charles, snooping into yeah. Ivor. Yeah, Charles. Yeah. Like Gene was doing way more spying than Charles was, and it wasn't even. That's that is so interesting that you said that because literally I had never thought about it because they kept trying to make it a plot and then it would fizzle out and then I just kept forgetting about it <laughs> in the movies. Like, <laughs> oh, that's so true. That's kind of a pointless plot in a way. I, I also, I, I appreciated that scene just because I love Jason Isaacs as an actor. Mm-hmm. I think, I think he's fantastic. I also love the fact that even when he's a good guy, he's still the bad guy. Like yeah. it, it just, it doesn't matter. Like he is always a bad guy. Like, I know. That's so true. 
you're like, he's on the good side. He's doing what he needs to do. He's making sure there are no spies amongst these operations, you know, so he's doing what he needs to do, but you still look at him as a bad guy, even though he's, he's, you know, a good guy all around. Jack, who is your uh, favorite actor or character in this? Jason Isaacs. <laughs> I didn't it's... know Lucius Malfoy served in yeah. World War II. <laughs> I love it. I feel like Lucius would have been on the, uh, if we're going with Harry Potter world, I feel like he probably would have been on the side of the Nazis, but. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I think he would have been on. Um... Interesting. That is interesting. Maybe maybe he would have maybe he would have been Italian fascist or something. I think more <laughs> more I think more Italian maybe. I think he would have been that. But then I could see him being part of the Soviets in regards to having the long. You know, they were playing the long game yeah. a little bit. They're like, we're gonna we're gonna side with the people who are going to win so we get what we want in the end and so i could also see him doing some sort of that too in the <laughs> as well but <laughs> i i don't know why it made me think of this but the so going back to the actual like invasion of sicily obviously this entire the the entire operation mincemeat is predicated on the we need to divert german resources away from sicily mm -hmm. um because obviously they are the primary f fighting force that we're concerned about um but i feel like it aside from diverting germans away i th i feel like there's a part of this film that they could have hit on that and granted, it might have been just like a little bit of a dig, but, um, you know, there's still the entire, like, Italian forces in Italy and Sicily. Uh, but they never really hit on, like, why we're not concerned about the Italians as an enemy. They're just like, just get the Germans out of here. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just really wanted them to kind of go into the, like, even if it was a singular line, just be like, yeah, the, the Italians are really terrible at fighting. We, we're not concerned about them. Because, mm -hmm. like, I think that's another thing that tends to get glanced over in the history of World War II is, like, we always acknowledge, like, the Italians, like, fighting in North Africa or obviously fighting in the Italian campaigns. But they they were such, a, like, ineffectual fighting force. Mm -hmm. Like... Like one of my favorite stories, and granted, it was a little bit pre World War II, it was like 35 or 36. Uh, but I remember when I was in college, one of my professors telling this story where the Italians are trying to colonize East Africa, so like Somalia and all that areas. And the local Somalis were able to destroy an entire tank force literally with sticks. Like they, ran up to these tanks and like flipped them over with these super long sticks and set them on fire. And I just like, that's how bad at fighting they were. And I just, I wanted someone in this film to acknowledge how, like, that's why we need the Germans to not be here because if all the allies have to deal with mm -hmm. is the Italians, then we're fine. Yeah. 
Well, I totally get what you're saying and and all that. Sorry, my dog is is moving around. Um, no, I totally understand that too. And I didn't even think about, you know, the Italians during that movie either because, you know, Germany was such a huge triumphant force that I feel like people were like, eh, the Italians are just following the Germans. Like, you know, like we don't need to worry about them, but I totally agree with that. I did not know that about that those tank stories about the Italians. I'm gonna have to. Oh yes. I'm gonna have to go on a. But just, <laughs> just Italians. Yeah, just Google Somalians flipping Italian tanks, and it will bring up some great articles. Like that is it's just ri- ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also if you think about it, like, and this is just. We were again, the, the Italians were our enemies in the beginning of World War II. Then they were our allies in the end of World War II. So they kind of really, it sometimes seems like they just kind of went with what was going to benefit them more or at least survive. Um, whereas the Nazis just wanted, you know, they didn't care which way the wind blew. They were just going full force. So um, maybe that's why. Or I don't even know what the point of me saying that was. I totally lost track. My brain moves faster than my mouth, and my mouth moves faster than my brain. So we're just gonna stop oh, that's talking. Fine. <laughs> I will say, um, something I wish. Additionally, going into the whole Italian thing, I think, you know, they did explain it a bit. Kind of the like, this person has to get the documents so he can pass it on to this person who will translate it to Hitler. I wish they had gone into that just a little bit more. Like, like we know the order that it has to happen and we hear, yes, that it did happen, but I would have liked to have actually seen like German guy actually having conversation and handing stuff off. Like, but I suppose it, this tends to be more focused on like, Ewan's perspective, if you will. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I think it would have been very interesting to see more of what happened once the body was discovered and how these came into German, you know, how the documents did go into German hands and how these um, other spies, um, uh, something Klaus, I can't remember his name, but, you know, all these other spies that they had in Spain. And, And I would have loved to see a scene because when they got all the documents back from Spain, after they were returned, they looked at the letter, the big letter that said, was talking about the operation where the invasion was allegedly going to be happening. And they were like, it wasn't opened. So they didn't read it. So these documents failed, but then they realized that, no, they did open the documents. They, what they did is they dried out the document. They somehow heated the the stamp, dried it out and then when they refolded it they got it wet again and that's when they returned the documents but i would have loved to see how they read all the documents and got all the information that the germans needed and then returned it back hopefully that they wouldn't know that uh they have all the information i thought that would have been a really cool point but like you said too operation mincemeat was about the ewan and charles and them creating it but it would have been cool if they did maybe like a two-part movie series and then went more in depth into the actual, uh, opera, you know, the, the, right. the discovery part of it too. 
It could it could have been like a three or four part miniseries. It's Netflix. They yeah. can do whatever they want. Yeah. We're we're not sending ten thousand men to their death on an eyelash. <laughs> oh, that that yeah that yeah the eyelash was gone. But then again, it was a nice I, touch. That was a nice touch. They did have some witty the witty comments in there. The eyelash thing, and then are you a writer too? Like they had little nice, funny little jokes in there too as well. <laughs> I you know. There's this one part, it wasn't meant to be a joke, but I, I laughed at it and maybe it's just a morbid sense of humor, but have you ever seen uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It with uh, Leslie Nielsen in it? Oh, a long time ago, I think. So, but but you're familiar with it. Yeah. It's, it's a typical Leslie Nielsen film. It's a, it's a parody of a classic story. Mm -hmm. Um but there's a scene in this film it's when they have uh the body on the the morgue table and you can see the one spanish guy who's just like freaking out because he's like what do you mean you're a drowning specialist like you're not the local guy like and he's oh. just trying he's just trying everything in the world just to like speed things up and like rush it and like like don't 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 think too hard about this and like as he's trying to convince this coroner to like just oh just rubber stamp it he cuts in and starts the the autopsy and he like yanks out the intestines and they look like sausage links and i i burst out laughing because it reminded me of the scene from this leslie nielsen film where it's the exact same thing, except like in the Leslie Nielsen film, it's like 30 feet of like sausage oh. links that they're pulling out of a person. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, this is the most graphic and also the most unbelievable part of this film. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> what did you think, Jack, of, uh, of the corpse? Made me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> for some minced meat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> i know <I'm> so funny. <laughs> but uh yeah i did i did like that fast talking he did like for fuck's sake he's dead <laughs> <laughs> it's they... it's hot and it's hot and smelly in here yeah and then you you get the coroner who's like and <laughs> like <laughs> it's like don't yeah, deny me mean, this yeah the yeah the entire spain sequence where they wanted to act like they wanted to get the documents back but then they didn't want it back then they had to act pretend like they were trying to get it back from the nazis while they're making sure the nazis get it, it, was, it stressful was, yeah it was very stressful and i i actually believe from what i read i'm not like some expert on this operation or anything whatsoever but i think it actually kind of went along those lines like it it did actually in fact go like back and forth back and forth and then like it was kind of like i think for a while they thought that the germans are never going to get this and then it went back and forth a lot but um it is pretty stressful <laughs> like what are they going to do are they spain going to give it to them not going to give it to them like what's going on <laughs> i think um like there there are definitely quite a few stressful moments in this film and one stressful moment i wasn't expecting to have is like 
near the beginning when they're like, okay, let's get the easy part of this done. Let's get ourselves a body. And then it's literally like a five or a 10 minute sequence of them going from like morgue to morgue. And they're like, <laughs> where's this guy's legs? Where's his legs? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's great. Where's his legs? <laughs> and then they, you know, we, we finally get, uh, we, we meet Glindor and I, I appreciate the little kind of side scene where we still see him alive being taken care of the nurse uh, as he's like slowly dying of poisoning. And uh, I saw the thing or I heard the line where they're like, oh, he poisoned himself with bread. And I I had to pause the movie and look it up because I'm like, who has ever committed suicide by bread before? Mm -hmm. And I was and I had to look it up and I was like, that was just the assumption back then, but most likely, like, he was a homeless individual and a common form of pest control back in the day was just poisoning bread so that rats and mice would eat the bread and then eventually die off themselves. So what you what you actually come across is this dude was probably just, like, so incredibly hungry and starving that he just, like, it's like, bread in the street, mm-hmm. eats it, and then ends up you know, coming to his fate, which honestly just sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah, His, the the entire story of him just seems like, uh, um, I was going to say this, this, uh, Glendor's life seems just like, uh, like an entire tragedy really. It is. And I'm so glad, I'm actually glad that they, you know, gave him more of a, you know, who he was before he, he, he became, William Martin, you know, and served his country because he did serve his country and he was a, a, as they called it back in the day, a vagrant. Um, and they gave, I think, I think Wikipedia has him listed as a, oh, a tramp, tramp yeah. which it's sounds, yeah, yeah, it sounds way yeah, worse. Was, I mean, he was just a, a homeless, homeless guy. Um, and, you know, I like that they gave him you know, they did a little bit more and, you know, and then also after what, 40 something years after Operation Mincemeat finally happened, they released his true identity and, you know, gave him a proper burial and, you know, and all that stuff. And so technically in a way he sacrificed himself uh, without knowing it for (laughs) the greater good. Right. I love that the, you know, it's, it's something that a lot of films does where like, we get the end of the film like it pans across the cemetery or it like zooms in on a monument somewhere and i thought in this film when they they show glinder's uh grave and his headstone i thought it was you know it was shot a little differently than mm-hmm. we usually do see in other films but i thought it was i thought it was very well done and i thought like it wasn't too over the top like it was kind of respectful kind of like i think the opposite end of the spectrum is like take saving private ryan for example where you know the end of the film they're in the american cemetery Mm -hmm. in france and it's got the like faded distressed american flag like flowing in the Mm -hmm. background like and you know brad pitt or not brad pitt uh matt damon there we go. Matt Damon's like, tell me I'm a good man. It's like, I I like this much more muted mm-hmm. version of showing up an actual grave. Yeah. 
it was it it didn't it didn't have the fanfare that most quote unquote war movies have and i think that just showed the amount of respect that (sighs) ewan and charles had for you know and and gene had for this operation you know it, it didn't need to be what's it called made bigger than it than it truly was they were just we were doing part of our job blah 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 type thing so i also i love the fact that you know in the the end kind of like title cards and whatnot it it talked about how like like you know you mentioned they were just doing their job like charles like never Mm -hmm. talked about it again after the fact and like ewan did write a book about the event but it was like 30 or 40 years after it happened so like there was very little like security concerns at that point well they made a movie based on his book in 1956 called the the man that the the man that never was um okay so maybe like 10 10 years i was off but then again but now that I'm thinking about it, was that movie, I haven't seen that movie, but I guess a lot of people say that that movie is really intense with Operation, like the, that part of Operation Midsmeet that was lacking in this film. Um, but maybe it wasn't based on his, on his book. Maybe I read that wrong, but I don't, but anyways, sorry. Yeah, but he, yeah, <laughs> I like, I love at the end of movies when they say what happened to everybody, you know, after the war or said thing they were a part of i also i'm glad to see that like everything worked out between like you and mm-hmm. his wife at the end and may i don't know if that was a, another dramatized part of this movie but like i thought that added another kind of interesting layer of just home life mm-hmm. during the war which is the like I'm sending my, you know, it was a very common thing for people who like lived in London, which is I'm sending my family away. So they're not in immediate Mm -hmm. danger and whatnot. And obviously they added the, you know, the marital strife to that Mm -hmm. part of the story. But um, I thought, you know, that's something else that we don't really see very often Mm -hmm. in war films is, and especially like British war films, because I think this is going to be i can't believe i'm mentioning this film in this format but the only time i can think of where i've seen people sending their families off to avoid the battle of britain or you know the ramifications of living in london during world war ii is uh narnia (laughs) i was just about to bring that up yeah because that that's like the very beginning of uh narnia is the kids are shipped away from london and that's you know where they go on their adventures but yeah it's it's a very glanced over Mm -hmm. topic but i have never seen any of the narnia series it's it's (laughs) fine (laughs) (laughs) the first the first one was Mm -hmm. just okay and everything after that was eh. but it it depends Mm -hmm. on what you're into um what was your least favorite part of this film? <sighs> My least favorite part. I feel like 
I guess it was, I, okay, if I had to choose, like, a specific plot line, it was Ewan's brother, I know we talked about this earlier, being a, the, the spy and adding that, a, a communist spy and adding that pointless plot line, which in real life, that was a, a thing, like, they were worried about that, and he was a communist sympathizer at one point, but it just didn't, they kept trying to put it in, and it never went anywhere, so it kind of, like, made it semi-annoying in a way, like, if you're gonna add a plot point, see it through. But I think I think the main right. thing for me is is not a specific scene. I just feel like they went a little too slow during the whole planning of the operation. And I know that's like a huge thing when planning like planning operation. They really need to get all the backstory and make sure that, you know, it is fails you know, it's gonna work. But I felt like it was just a little bit slow moving. Um in that regards i guess so it's not like a specific scene i guess it's more of like the plot plot points that i didn't like fully enjoy jack what was your uh least favorite aspect of this film uh the glasses guy what the hell was his name charles charles yeah yeah the guy that lives with his mom just the whole romantic subplot thing where he's jealous is just and he just acted like a weirdo (laughs) i will say i i i cringed pretty hard when uh he first meets gene like in the movie theater (laughs) and is like he's like trying to hit on her he's like did you know that this this main feature is is a real story and it's like oh my 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 favorite thing is did we work together. You know, you know, we work together. <laughs> you were like, <laughs> yeah, I've seen I you know. in the office. <laughs> I pur- I purposely wait till you walk away from the water cooler. Oh, <laughs> uh, but I think it is about that time that uh, we rate this film. And uh, Sarah, we usually like to do a, a one to five rating. We don't do stars because stars are boring. Uh, so we usually do something that is pertinent to the film or something that embodies the film. Ha, bodies didn't mean that to. I don't get it. <laughs> you're, you're, you're funny. <laughs> Although, Jack, I, I think the subtitle under your name uh, is leading us to the... Uh, probably a perfect metric for this film which is the and unless anybody has a a better idea but the secret agent hand job uh which was not something i was expecting in this film me neither but it made it made for a funny line in real life (laughs) i i found i found the line that preceded it kind of funny is like i can reach out to this guy but he he takes some careful yeah. handling and then it's like, oh, <laughs> so unless anybody has a, a different metric they would like to use, um, I think one to five secret agent hand jobs. <laughs> Jack, how about one to five? What do you think? Four out of five agent hand jobs. Solid four. Enough solid is there anything that would bump this up to a five for you um 
more in-depth autopsy <laughs> more <laughs> maybe Plus like charles uh, maybe maybe like a ncis like top down view autopsy type deal yeah yeah or or maybe not like sausage link intestines <laughs> actual sausage <laughs> and uh sarah how about you on a scale of one to five one to five i would probably rate it a 4.1 mm -hmm. 4.1 you just always gotta one up me <laughs> just by one <laughs> Hey man, I grew up playing the prices right or watching the prices right. So <laughs> there it is. You always got to do it by one penny. <laughs> right. I think I think Jack, I have to agree with you. I I'll give this four secret agent hand jobs. I think I'm not sure exactly what would push this into a five category. For me i think it's a super solid film it was very interesting um obviously like there could have been a better winston churchill and maybe we get rid of certain aspects of it or what have you but i i greatly enjoy it i think it's worth the watch i despite it being a very good film i don't know this is not a film that I think I would watch on a yearly basis. Like there, there are definitely films that like I will put on at least once a year to watch because they're just like that good. This is a really good movie, but I don't know the next time I would put it on TV for the sake mm -hmm. of just watching it. So for that reason, I, I I'll give yeah. it four. I think that's, those are all really good points. It was, it was a really, it was a good film. It was nicely done. I the only thing I wish they would have done better was if they would have touched more on after the after uh, the body was found and everything that went into that. That would have just made that would have made it a five, one hundred percent. Well, Jack, what does the uh, people at Ron Tomatoes give this? I'm glad you asked, John. Uh, it has an eighty-three percent tomometer rating from the critics and a sixty-six percent from the audience. I can art well, like I, I didn't actually open up any of the audiences, but I can guess what their critiques were like. Oh, it was mm -hmm. too slow. The romantic subplot and not enough too action, many, blah 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 blah. Too many palm, palm trees. trees and... yeah. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go with the critics on this one. Yeah, I think I think the critics are are more yeah, accurate on this one. Too. It's it's interesting because uh, I I don't think there's really a middle ground when it comes to like Netflix mm -hmm. films. I think either Netflix like hits it out of the park like in this film, or like All Quiet on the Western Front, or it's kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum where you're like, oh, that you were just like throwing stuff at yeah. the wall, weren't you? Which you know, for this being like a like a near end of COVID were producing everything mm -hmm. and anything film like it it turned out very well i definitely think so too they did their re they did their research um for this film so which is good because like you said sometimes netflix just throws things on the wall and you're like who was your technical advisor who was your on-site historian because that okay <laughs> but... 
So um, now that we've done our our review and we've rated this, uh, Sarah, I will give the the floor to you to share any kind of uh, social media pages you want the people to know about, any upcoming stuff you have, uh, basically anything you want the people to know. The oh, the floor is yours. Well, um, again, my name is Sarah. I'm the History Chick 1941. My main platform is Instagram. Um, I do have a YouTube channel as well, but that is just um, history behind the page episodes that are re-uploaded on there. Um, for that, I do have a Facebook, but I'm never on it. So Instagram, if you want to find me, Instagram. Instagram is where I'm at, the History Chick 1941. Um, stuff that's coming up for me, um, we're going to get back to doing more episodes of History Behind the Page and just... Uh, kind of mellowing out until the after the first of the year so i'm hoping to roll out some more content different interviews and different um uh what's it called historical content um in a different way so that right. is what i'm just kind of that's just what's kind of in the works for me <laughs> well we're we're definitely looking forward to it i uh i remember the one of your more recent live feeds you did with uh uh jd and chris. uh yeah chris from vlogging through yeah i love yeah, uh, vlogging through history they're amazing yeah <laughs> yeah we had we had jd on several mm -hmm. months ago uh and that, that was a, a great time yeah. hanging out with him so looking forward to the stuff you guys got coming up um jack it is your turn this week so please tell me what we're going to be watching and Please be gentle with me. Oh, please be gentle with you. Yes. The guy that invited the dude that picked Pearl Harbor on wants mercy from me. <laughs> uh, um, fine. Fuck. Um, platoon. Ooh. Platoon. All right. I, I can dig one it. One of my favorites. All right. And I think you, I have. You did, take it, you did take it easy on me. I think I have a guest lined up too. Oh, I cannot wait to hear who this will be. I mean, it's nothing too exciting, but is yeah, wait. I'm looking forward All to right. this review. Alrighty. Well, for next week, we'll be doing platoon. Uh, for those of you at home, if you enjoyed this show, uh, please go and give Sarah a follow. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. The stars do matter. Uh, if you want additional content from us, we are on Instagram and Facebook under the Armchair Commanders podcast. We also have a Discord under the same name. Uh, if you want to find us at on YouTube, uh, we have a, a YouTube channel called History Apprentice. Um, Jack, do you have anything else? I don't. All right. Well. Thank you so much again, Sarah, for joining us. Until next time, I've been John. And I'm Jack. And we will catch you later. Bye.